and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. Well, you know what? God's in such a good mood. He's so happy. He's so full of joy. He never, he never gives up on us and never gets tired of us. He, he will continue to pursue the human race until the human race is no more. That's how much he loves us. And I love that about him. And we're going to, we're in this, um, we're in this series on prayer. And we're going to go right into Luke chapter 11. And um, we're going to have some fun today. You guys want to have some fun today with prayer? Let's have some fun. We're going to look at some, some of the things Jesus taught on prayer. And we're going to uh, talk about uh, what he showed. You know, we've been in this series. We, uh, the first week we, we laid the groundwork for Jesus and prayer and what prayer is and what prayer isn't. Covered that last week, and then we we went over, um, you know, uh, the fact that it shows our dependency on God. Prayer is something that shows our dependency on God that we're we're trusting Him, relying on Him to, you know, help us and show us the way and, and lead us and guide us. Aren't you glad you can do that with God? I, I I know I'm not the only one, but I there there are times when I can feel so overweighted with things, you know, like an unexpected bill comes in and it's you know, it's a big, big bill. And it's like, oh, well, I wasn't ready for this. You know, and you can start getting a little heavy, like, what's going to go on? And you can bring that to the Lord. You know, if something happens in your health, or something happens in your family, or something happens in another arena of life, and you just start getting overwhelmed. You just start getting like, you know, something happens in an election, and you start getting overwhelmed, Right? You guys okay? Everybody, you okay out there today? And something happens in the realm of COVID, and all of a sudden everything changes, and you can get overwhelmed. And you're now isolated. You're now staying at home. You're not going out as much. You're not seeing people as much. And, and it, can get, it can get feeling kind of lonely, but when you're with Jesus, you're never alone. You don't have to get lonely with Jesus. Someone better give me an amen on that one, at least. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Stop troubling me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you what you're asking. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he, though he will not rise and give to him, because he is his friend, yet because his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. Now last week we looked at the disciple who asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he wasn't asking, teach us how to pray, but he asked, 
teach us to pray. And we looked at some of the things Jesus went into, and he said, you know, he talked about not praying a certain way. You know, don't pray like the hypocrites or the Pharisees. They love to be heard in their prayers, and they love to be shown uh, attention, and they, they like the opinions of men to be showered upon them. But Jesus said, when you pray, go to your Father in your prayer closet, close the door so that no one can see you, and your Father who sees in secret will hear. And he laid that as the foundation for prayer. I believe that's really where he was going. But there is this petition that comes in prayer. There is this place where when we ask the Father, when we ask him for something, he is going to give us what we ask for. That's what this parable is about. It's about this friend who comes to his friend and he says, give me some bread because I have a visitor. He's come. Caught me by surprise. I'm feeling a little bit unraveled here. I've got nothing to feed him. Give me some bread so I can feed my friend. So here you've got someone who's requesting bread and he's trusting in the relationship that he has with his friend. It's, it's for no other reason. It's, it's, it's not because he believes his friend isn't going to give him something. He's coming to his friend because he believes his friend is going to give him something. And I believe what Jesus is teaching in this parable is that's how we're to pray. We're to pray like that. That we're coming to God believing he's going to give us what we're coming to him about. And so it lays this groundwork for persistence. Even in the beginning when we opened up this series, we talked about the scripture that showed that Jesus often went into the wilderness to pray. He got away from everybody else. He goes into the wilderness and he goes to pray. And the word often is not a mistake. It's revealing something about the life of Jesus. It's revealing something that was in him that he knew he, he needed to persist in this realm of prayer, getting alone with God. <clears throat> Are they having another church out in the cafe? <laughs> They're like some kind of a Fellowship going on out there, or oh, huh? So, sounds like they're having a good time out there. You maybe we should all go join them out in the cafe, huh? That would be funny if some of you did go out and just said, "Hey, you know, we heard you guys having such a good time out here. We thought we'd just come out and join you." <laughs> So Jesus, he's talking about whoever, whoever knocks, it will be opened. He's talking about whoever asks, it will be given. And he's laying this for his disciples. He's training these guys. He's teaching them how to pray or teaching them to pray. And he's saying, this is where you go when you pray. You go in this place of persistence. You don't just go, ask, and when you don't get it, you give up. He's saying, you go and you ask. And if you have to keep asking until you get it, ask. And I believe that what he's doing is he's showing that asking reveals faith. 
It reveals faith on the part of the petitioner. It's showing. It is showing that faith exists in the asker. How many of you ask God for things? Anybody here? Yeah, well, that's, that's faith. Okay? It's faith. You're, you're coming and you're asking because you trust the relationship. Jesus has done something in your life to develop trust. You know he's good. You know his love endures forever. You know that he'll never leave you alone or forsake you. And so you come to him because you know and trust the relationship that he has with you. That's what this friend did. Trusted the relationship. You remember the persistent widow, right? She's like coming to the unjust judge. Hey, I need justice here. You know, I'm, I'm being mistreated. I need some justice. And he, the unjust judge keeps saying, no, forget it. I'm not going to help you. Don't, you. don't waste your time. Don't bother me. You're a waste of time. I'm not going to do anything for you. And she keeps going. She keeps going. She keeps going. She keeps going. And what I believe Jesus is trying to teach in that is that your prayers are going to encounter some opposition sometimes. There are going to be times where you come and you ask for justice. You come and you're asking for something. But your prayers are going to hit some kind of a wall. And I believe that's what he's talking about with the unjust judge. That there might not always be justice in your prayers. You might not always get right away what you're asking for. And there's going to be a need for you to push through that injustice. To persevere and persist so that you're establishing your trust and relationship in God beyond the wall of resistance. That's what the widow did. She knew that even though this judge was not just, she knew if she kept going, if she kept going, if she kept going. You ever met really persistent people? Uh, yeah. Do they give up? No. They don't quit. They keep going. And that's what, he's, that's what he's showing in this. He's showing that even though when you're asking for something from God, the Father, who is good, he even tells in the parable, he says, now that was an unjust judge, but we have a good God who's willing to give us everything. So if that's really the reality, and you're having a request with God, unless it's asking amiss, but if you're having a request with God, and you're persisting in that request, and that request doesn't seem to be going beyond a certain place. It's like it's not coming through for you. It's not being answered. You're not. Maybe some of you have been praying for things for years, weeks, months, years, however long it's been, and you're hitting this wall, you're hitting this wall, you're hitting this wall. It's, it's like, that's like the unjust judge. And I think a lot of us hit the wall, and after a few hits, we quit. Yeah, it must have been out of God's will. I must have been not praying right. I must not have the right words. It must not be the right time. We can have all kinds of lies that we can hear in our head about unanswered prayers. But each lie that we entertain about unanswered prayers, it hurts our trust in the relationship with God. Before too long, we might end up just giving up praying altogether. Like, what's the point? When we first started pursuing healing in our house, and I mean, we were going after this, and we weren't having good results. We hit so much resistance with healing; it was, it was pathetic. It was like it, it would it would be enough to stop anyone pursuing. But God had done something in our hearts, and we 
we realized that faith was there. And even though it wasn't full-blown, even though it hasn't come to a place of maturity yet to where we were able to move mountains, like Jesus talked about, a mustard seed shall do. Even though it hadn't come to that level, we just kept pushing. Why? Because we saw something. We saw a pattern in healing. We saw it presented by Jesus in the gospel that every person that came to him who needed healing was healed. And because we saw that, and when we looked at that, we said, okay, so if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, and he lives inside of us, and he told us we'll lay our hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Okay, well then, if there is resistance against that, that resistance is not a part of God's plan and it's not a part of Jesus, and we need to push beyond that. We need to let our faith and trust in our relationship with a good God go beyond the resistance that we're experiencing. That's the power of prayer. That's what he's talking about when he talks about these, the persistent friend and the persistent widow. Don't quit. Keep your relationship intact with God, that you're believing that he is good and he will grant you what you ask for. The frequency of Jesus often praying is a pattern for us to follow. And I believe he's laying that in those two parables. He's showing these parables and he's telling these guys, he's telling his disciples, his followers, okay, persist and pray. How many times, guys, have you seen me go off into the wilderness and pray? How often is that? That's the model for you to follow. Now, I think it just presents a beautiful illustration of when we persist in our belief that God is good and he promised to give us what we asked for. When we persist, when we go past the barriers and past the wall of resistance and we persist, we're trusting in a relationship. And that trust in a relationship is what builds faith. And faith, when it builds bring substance out of the things that we're asking for and the things that we're hoping for. You guys, that's the reality of prayer that persists and prayer that goes forward and prayer that doesn't quit and a person who's, who's praying to believe and trust the relationship of a good God. Matthew 26, verse 36, and we'll go there if you, if you can. Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. As I was putting this together this week, something struck my heart about this passage that I don't think I've ever experienced the level of what Jesus 
was going through. And I'm not going to even begin to say I could experience that level, but I got a glimpse into the level of what he was going through. And he's brought these three most trusted friends with him. These guys were the, they were like the inner core. They were the ones who he really trusted. I mean, he like walked with these guys, was teaching them, building them up, developing them, because he knew he was, his life on earth was going to be uh, taken. And he knew that they were going to be left to carry the mantle. They were the ones that were going to take the kingdom of God forward after he was no longer there personally with them. And now we know from, we'll read on a little bit, but I'm just going to add in that he comes back after he has this prayer time. He comes back and he says, could you not watch with me for an hour? Okay, could you not wait and watch for an hour? And so this really struck me. I'm like going, okay, was this, did this prayer take an hour? I mean, was this like all he prayed? And so it hit me that because he was so weighted down, with the weight of what was about to happen, that it's the only thing they heard. It wasn't the entire content of his prayer. It was all they heard. And I pictured him in that garden, weighted down with the sorrow of what was about to unfold and what was about to come upon him. And I just pictured him falling down there on his face and with his voice as loud as he could in anguish and in sorrow and in passion and in pain. He's screaming at the top of his voice, Father! Let this cup pass from me. And they're in a distance. He left them behind. He He told him, wait here, watch him pray. I'm going to go over there. And I believe it's the only reason why we hear these words out of that hour-long prayer that Jesus had is because he was yelling, screaming in passion. Isaiah 53 says, surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. It really hit me. This is what's going on. He's fulfilling a prophecy spoken hundreds of years before about his life in this very moment of time in the garden and the weight of all of what is about to come upon him is too much for him even to bear as a man. And in anguish, he's crying out, let it it pass from me, let it. He goes on a little bit further, falls on his face. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Isaiah 53, 4 says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And as he's yelling there on the ground with his face into the ground, and as he's just crying out to his father, he's just in anguish of his father. It's not necessarily only about the torment that he knows is about to happen to him. 
but it's about the reality that Jesus Christ, the perfect one who knew no sin, he, he resisted all the temptations that the devil threw at him because he knew for this very moment that he had come. And he's crying out in that garden with the passion of what is about to happen to him, that every sin that was ever committed in humanity is the cup that he's going to be drinking. The contamination of him as the perfect one. It was a contamination that he never experienced in life. But he knew that he was going to be carrying the sins of the entire world with him to die on the cross. Every transgression, every sin committed. And he's laying there on the ground with this reality and he's crying out, but not my will, but yours be done. I will go this way for you. I don't like what I'm seeing right now and I don't like what I'm feeling and I don't want to even have this sin come close to me, but I will do it. He's not speaking from a position of a slave. He's not speaking of someone who's being forced into something. He is willingly acknowledging that this must be fulfilled. This is what must come down. And he's the one to fulfill it. And he's going to take the cup. And he's going to drink it. And then in verse 40, he comes back to his disciples and he finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, what could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. My heart was moved like this when I was preparing this message because it just grabs something in me to say. I, was, I felt like the father was saying, Son, I'm teaching you to pray. I'm showing you something about me that was going on in that garden. I'm teaching you. And I felt like, I feel like I've been asleep. I feel like I've missed some things about prayer for a good part of my life. Doesn't mean I haven't prayed. Doesn't mean... I'm not someone who does pray. I love connecting with heaven. I've told you that, and I do that on a regular basis. But I felt like there was something. There was something that just, you know, like the disciple, even when I was preparing for that message last week, and I was preparing for it a couple weeks ago, it grabbed me. He, that disciple, he saw something in Jesus in the prayer life of Jesus. And he said, man, I got to have that. 
I need that. That's something I've got to grab a hold of. Because that is a key. That is a key to the kingdom. Again, a second time he went away and he prayed and he said, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep once again because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away again and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Wow. I'm really sorry. I'm not a crying preacher. But this is just doing something in me. I should probably have my wife come up and preach something fun. But... Two gardens, folks. It was in the garden that Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray that you don't enter temptation. Because they were standing in a moment of time. They were in a moment of time that they were probably going to miss. And Jesus is saying, watch and pray with me here. They're like on the threshold of a whole new creation. It's a threshold of a whole new kind of human. And they're there with him, right? And he's the only one seeing it, hearing it, and grabbing it. And he's like, guys, I'm, this, is, this is a moment of time. I'm about ready to be betrayed. And taken from you. And you guys are going to have to get this. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And they sleep. And sleep. And sleep. He's persistent in prayer. They're persistent in sleeping. No slant on them. I really got grabbed by this. I felt the same kind of thing. It's like. Call the church to pray. I'm calling you to pray. Call the church to pray. Because I believe we are on the threshold of a time of something new that God is about to unfold and I don't want to miss it. I've got my eyes towards heaven's news, not the earth's news. I really mean that. Literally. They're standing on the threshold of a brand new creation. Now, in in the few days that will follow this moment in time, this threshold that they're standing on, Jesus is going to descend into Hades, and he is going to take the keys of authority away from Satan. Because you remember, there was another garden in the very beginning of time where mankind gave those keys of authority to Satan. And he had had them ever since. 
And Jesus descends down into that lower region and he shows up at Satan's doorstep, takes the keys and carries the captives with him to heaven. Aren't you thankful that the disciples sleeping didn't stop the progress of the kingdom of God moving? And I'm saying the same thing. Your lack of prayer is not going to stop God from moving. It's just going to cause you to miss all that's unfolding. This is big for me, folks, because I'll, I'll tell you, I, I feel like I don't, Oh, I don't want to get myself into trouble by saying this. I probably shouldn't say it. But I I just feel like there has been like a cynicism of a prayer movement. And that cynicism has caused me to miss some things in prayer that I should be paying attention to. That's all I'm going to say about that. I mean, some heavy stuff went down in that first garden, you guys. They, they just, they, they gave, they gave the devil everything that God had given to them. They turned it right over to him because they believed the lie. That was the first garden. Now in this garden, the garden of Gethsemane, the garden that Jesus is in, He's telling his disciples, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Temptation. Like Satan was in that first garden, tempting the first humans. And Jesus knows now he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's going to be tempting his disciples. And I begin to wonder, what would he be tempting them to? What, what kind of temptation were the disciples going to fall into? It wasn't just sleep. What kind of temptation would Satan try to tell his disciples in that garden? And Jesus is passionately praying. He's like, God, let it, God, this, this cup, let it pass from me if you can. But not my will, but your will be done. He's passionately praying like that. And he's like, he's he's so caught up and so enraptured in the goodness and the love of his father and and all he's seen is now that he's going to take the sin of the entire world upon himself he's never even touched sin he's never looked at sin he's never been tempted he's never been tempted to sin tempted but not to sin he chose not to sin perfect Human, the only perfect human that has ever walked the face of this planet. Now he's going to be taking all the sins of the entire world upon him in this garden. And he's telling his disciples, pray that you don't enter into temptation. What kind of lies would he be telling those guys? I, I believe there's some obvious ones. You can think through and process through, but I just thought through and processed a couple of them. One of them is that just within a few moments of time, his betrayer is going to come 
And they're going to arrest Jesus and take him away to crucify him. And I believe one of the lies of the enemy was this. This would be the temptation that, the, that Satan was going to give the disciples. You've wasted all these years believing that he was the Messiah. And now look what's come of him. And Jesus is saying, pray you guys so you don't bite into that lie. Because that, that was the first lie that he told Eve. You've been wasting your time in this garden. God's been keeping something from you. If you would just eat of this fruit, you will become like God. And you'll be just like him and you'll be able to see everything you need to see. It's like, you guys have been following a lie. That's what Satan is telling these guys. I believe the temptation was, you've been following a lie. You believed he was the son of God. And now look. All your dreams around that belief have shattered. And Jesus was the only one in that garden that knew. That this must be fulfilled. The other guys. They were going to watch him get arrested. And they were going to scatter. And their hopes. And their dreams. And everything that they believed about the Messiah. Was going to close. And for those three days. They would be in a dark. Doubt filled state of mind and soul. Lost. without any hope. Jesus goes within those three days and he takes back the keys. I don't imagine it took too long. I don't think there was a battle. (laughs) The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords goes down to Satan's realm and says, hand him over. It says in the Gospels that Jesus' prayer was so filled with passion and intensity that he actually Dripped with blood and sweat. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had that kind of prayer. Because I've never known that kind of suffering. And we will never know that kind of suffering because Jesus was the one that took our sufferings upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. (sighs) 
The difference in this time is that within this time, within this garden, the second garden, there's going to be a last Adam that establishes a new covenant. That last Adam, Jesus, establishing a new covenant, overrode the validity and the power that was contained within the first covenant. Because the first covenant could only temporarily take away sin. And the first covenant could only, it could only ease the curse. But this Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, would cancel that curse. Cancel it. Not postpone it. Not temporarily put it on the cross, cancel it permanently so that Paul could easily write, I am no longer a slave to sin and death. Someone was happy about that. That's good, whoever's clapping. Because, I mean, that's good news. That's what was going on in that garden. That's what Jesus was seeing. That was heaven's perspective. And he's the only one that got it because he was the only one that went there in that place of prayer to get alone with God. I believe the other disciples, had they gone into that place of prayer with the Lord, they would have seen what was unfolding, but they missed it. It doesn't mean that they were canceled out because they missed it. It just means they missed it. And I don't want to miss a thing going forward, you guys. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. But I'm just saying, there's something so big in the wind. I'm not talking politics. I'm not talking anything other than the kingdom of God. There is something so big in the kingdom that is moving right now. We are on the threshold of something that is more powerful than anything we've ever seen, witnessed, experienced, that... It's more powerful than any other previous revivals. Not that those revivals weren't powerful. They were. They had their time. They, were, they stood in a moment of threshold of time for those revivals. And I'm telling you, this thing is, is big, 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 big. And it's like, wow, 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 wow. And it's like, watch and pray. Watch and pray. The. It's going to unfold. It's going to be exciting. You remember Jesus, he's going along with the disciples. And he asked them the questions, who, who did the crowd say that I am? And Simon said, you're the son of God. You're the one from heaven. You're the son of God. You're the one. And this is what Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What if Peter was the disciple who asked, teach us to pray? What if he was the one? We talked about that last week. What if he was that disciple who came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray? I think he might have been. I think this scripture kind of like points to that. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
In other words, I believe Peter somehow in his prayer life, in his prayer time, he connected with heaven. He connected with what was going on in heaven. He disconnected from the things that were down here. He disconnected from his own awkwardness. He disconnected from his own uh, lack of faith at times. He disconnected from his lack of understanding. And he connected with heaven to see this is the Son of God. And you remember who it was? You remember who it was who gathered the church after Jesus showed himself in the resurrection, after he resurrected from the dead and he showed up to these guys? You remember who it was? It was Peter who called them all together. And it was Peter who was, who was saying, hey, you guys, wow, 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 wow. And it was Peter who said, you guys handle the service of the church. We're going to go off and we're going to pray. We're going to get along with God. We're going to study the word. We're going to pray. We're going to, we're going to be doing this part. You guys do your part so that the functioning of the church can take place. I believe Peter tapped into something in heaven. He saw the validity of prayer. He saw the power of prayer. And he was in it to persist and persevere. And that night in the garden, it was going to look like hell one. The next, the next couple of days, it was going to look like hell one. They would not know until Jesus showed up again uh, with them. They would not know all that had taken place. They missed it. But when he showed up, they caught it. And now he's resurrected with us and we know hell didn't win. Hell lost. Satan has been defeated. He no longer has the keys. He no longer has the authority. We do. The church has the authority to reign upon earth. It was established in that second garden with the last Adam who created a new kind of believer. We stand and pray. Man, Father, I had no idea this would happen to me today, that this would hit me this way publicly. I know what you did in me privately. I would ask, Father, that you would indeed teach us to pray. That you would indeed teach us what it really is. Why we do it. Teach us to know that there is more that we can unlock. There are more keys to the entrance of the kingdom, the kingdom of God than what we know and what we see. That there's more power in prayer than we could ever accomplish in our activities. There's more power in prayer to unlock heaven here upon earth.
And you told us, Lord, you gave us so much authority. You gave your disciples the authority. You gave their followers the authority. You've given us the authority to know that whatever we, whatever we bind will be loosed in heaven. That we have the power to change this earth. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org. Thank you.